it's not about what I say, it's what I do. So I better be out there supporting people. I better be available. I better be solving problems so people can get their job done. And I need to be able to measure that stuff. And I need to go out and find out if we're delivering what we need to be delivering every day and supporting it and celebrating it. A lot of times our ego gets the best of us and we like to be seen. We like to prove how smart we are or how witty we are, but that doesn't help anyone. It's giving value to the people who are out there delivering that experience. So if you're running a call center, you better make sure the person that answering that phone is friendly, has all the information they need to help people because they don't. It doesn't matter how nice your office is or how good a leader you are. If it doesn't translate to that experience, then it really has no value. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset Show. This is a podcast about the financial, money, and recreational mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset Show and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Dan Cockrell, founder of the Cockrell Consulting Group. Dan moved to Florida after college and worked as a parking attendant at Disney's Epcot Center. He used what he learned from his experiences with the company and held various executive operations roles at the Walt Disney World Resort, both in the theme parks and resort hotels. He ultimately retired as the VP of Magic Kingdom, where he led 12,000 cast members and entertained over 20 million guests annually. In addition to his operational responsibilities, Dan was a keynote speaker for the world-renowned Disney Institute for 18 years and has facilitated customized programs for some of the largest corporations in the world. After a fulfilling and exciting 26-year career with the Walt Disney Company and upon becoming empty nesters, Dan and his wife Valerie made the decision to set out on a new venture and start their own consulting and speaking business. Dan provides customized, authentic presentations and insightful workshops focusing on leadership and management practices, drawing upon his extensive Disney career. Listen in as Dan shares how he grew from parking attendant to one of the highest roles within the Walt Disney Company and how this has allowed him to show others how they, too, can implement what he learned during his time there. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the honor of being with Dan Cockrell, the founder of Cockrell Consulting. Thanks for joining us today, Dan. Thanks, Larry. I love talking about what we're going to talk about. So uh, thanks for having me on your show. So do I. This is something that is close, near, and dear to my heart. So I appreciate you carving out the time and joining us today. So listen, let's just jump right in. Can you tell our audience about your path to launching Cockrell Consulting? Yes, a long and winding path it was. Aren't they all? (laughs) They all are. They all are. I went to Boston University and was a political science major, so I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. And every summer, I worked somewhere else. And my sophomore year in college, I worked at Walt Disney World on the Walt Disney World College program for a summer. And then I graduated two years later and still had no idea. So I went down to Disney, said, hey, I worked here before. I have a college degree now in political science. I'd like a job. What am I qualified for? And they said, quickly, 
you should park cars at Epcot. And that's mm-hmm. that what I did. So I parking cars at Epcot for about six months and then had an awesome opportunity to go over to France and open the park at Disneyland Paris, Euro Disney at the time, back in 92. And of course, they put me in the parking lot. So now I had international and domestic parking experience. <laughs> it's a common story with Disney executives. You start on the front line and really learn what the experience is about, the customers, what the job's about. Spent five years in France as a frontline manager and then moved back to Florida in 1997 and spent the next 20 years, 23 years at Walt Disney World. 19 different jobs with the company in total and ran hotels, ran theme parks. And then my wife and I, when our kids started, two of them left and one was about to go to college, we started talking about what we were going to do next in our life. And so it took us a year to make the decision. And finally, in 2018, May of 2018, I left Disney and we started our own consulting company. And so uh, we're now uh, scrappy entrepreneurs after 26 years in a big company. And we're learning a ton. It's been three years now, but we're learning a ton about how to operate, how to structure, how to do marketing. It's kind of like we're just got out of college again. This time we have a little money in our pocket and we're a little smarter than we were last time around. That's amazing. And it's great to see somebody who's gone through that whole Disney experience because it seems like everybody comes away with that or from that with such an in-depth working ability and knowledge. It's, it's amazing. And now to turn it into your own entrepreneurial venture is fantastic. I was hoping you could tell us. So in full disclosure, I have uh, my oldest is going to be heading off to college in the fall of 2021. And he's actually going to be heading to Drexel in Philadelphia, which they have a very robust externship program. He's going to have to do three externships while he goes there. And one of the things he's really interested in, he's a Disney file, loves Disney, and he's been talking about hopefully maybe having the opportunity of getting into the Walt Disney World College program, which is you're a product of. Can you tell us a little bit about that program? Because I know this is where you really started and kind Kind of paved your road. Sure. So at its peak, pre-COVID, I'll call it, 12,000 students a year coming through the program. We recruit from all kinds of different universities looking for mostly great attitude. We're looking for people that just love service and are going to bring energy with them. And the way we kind of market it is three things. It's a learning, an earning, and a living experience. So you live in a housing with other uh, cast members, other college program people, maybe sometimes international students, and really get to learn people and, and meet people from all over the United States and the world. There's the earning experience, which I always tell people, you're going to earn enough to live and eat, but you're not going <laughs> to... Don't plan on making any money on this experience. Right. And then lastly is the learning experience. So whether you're uh, getting college credit for a hospitality degree Or even if you're not, you can take actually college courses while you're there and learn about marketing and learn about operations. And we actually have professors on site that teach classes. It's kind of a triple thread, I call it. You get some awesome experience and uh, you you get Disney on your resume. And at the end of that experience, you may decide that hospitality is for you. Or if you're on a professional internship, maybe you had an opportunity to work in engineering there's all kinds of great, great stuff. And then a lot of people end up coming back like myself. And the ones that don't come back, we really look at this as a marketing opportunity. We want people to leave saying, you know what? I'm not going to work at Disney, but boy, it was a great experience to learn 
it's a very kind of cutting edge thing for us to do. And we know that we have to make sure that people get value out of it. We get value out of it and they get value out of it. So what I would tell you is have your son get in touch with me and we can stay connected and I can give some tips on how to put the best <laughs> foot forward. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. My understanding is it's extremely competitive program, you know, yeah. as far as they're very selective on who they take and how many take, et cetera. So, uh, I may take you up on that or he may take you up on that. Sure. So I appreciate that. So when you started right with Disney, technology was just starting on the forefront of things, really. It was really coming to a head at that point. How did technology impact you while you were at Disney? And in what ways did it help or did it actually hurt things? Yeah, boy, that's a loaded question. Because I think back to the day when I remember when we first got something called CC mail. And basically, you could send an email to anyone inside Disney, but you couldn't send an email outside Disney. And I don't even know if there's anyone outside Disney to send an email too. But all of a sudden, you get these notes in your inbox, and everyone was like, wow, this is really cool. And then as time went by, we're like, this isn't so cool anymore. Where's all this stuff coming from? So internally, we certainly started to accelerate communication and workflow and how things got done. But then I think one of the biggest things was you know, the Disney company's always been on looking at how to use technology to improve the guest experience. And that's where we really saw some fun things happening with Imagineering, the, our Imagineering area, which are basically the creative people that come up with new attractions, new restaurants, are always looking to use technology to move things forward. So I just wanted to mention this because this is a, an oldie, but a goodie was the Palm Pilot. So <laughs> I remember- I, I had first, one of those. <laughs> I first got a Palm Pilot and we started, this was the early days of like, okay, I have a Palm Pilot. I plug it in, in the morning and we set it to- download like all the park hours and everything. So we could walk around knowing all this information. Problem was if anything changed, you wouldn't know till the next day because it it didn't update through (laughs) uh, cellular. But I think the big thing is we started to look at, at technology and anything from, hey, you know what? Instead of going out and looking at the little number on the turnstiles every hour and then phoning in how many people were in the park, all of a sudden it said, you know what? The turnstiles now are automatically going to count people and just send you that number. (laughs) I remember that was a big deal. (laughs) And it just went from there. And I think the biggest thing about technology I learned over Disney over time was technology is not always the answer. First of all, it needs to solve a problem. And I think sometimes we get caught up in technology and it's a novelty. It's not really solving an important problem for you or important area to improve your business. It's not always going to be the thing. So don't use it just because you have it. And we had that, I think, lesson a few times where we tried things with guests and said, hey, we can do this now. And they said, yeah, that's neat, but we don't care. So a lot of times what I learned at Disney was, can you make the technology blend into the experience? So you want to have that warm hospitality. You want to have that employee talking to you. And maybe they have the technology to be able to serve up great service to you, be knowledgeable, create these individualized special experiences, but you want it to be done through a person. And so as time goes on, there's things people like to do themselves. It's like, well, I don't, I don't want to have to ask somebody in the park hours. I just want to look on my device. And so we started to get into that. I remember being in a meeting where we never seriously thought this, but it came down to, should we allow guests in the park with their smartphones or not? Because we build this incredible environment and everyone has their nose down in their device. 
And, you know, Walt would be rolling over in his grave. And, you know, you have that classic conversation. But what everyone said is, no, he wouldn't be rolling over. He would figure out a way to use that technology to improve the experience. Right. And that's what we started to do. Instead of trying to get rid of people's smart devices, we said, well, let's incorporate their smart devices to improve the experience. And Disney's done a ton of that and has continues to do that is using technology to better the experience. And once again, not just implement everything just because they can. Yeah, I think that's something that Disney is all about is the culture and the experience, right? If you could share one tip with our audience about creating culture, whether it be in their business or an experience, what would that be? My book is How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? I read a lot about culture. I learned a lot about culture working at Disney and then had to sort of figure out what I had learned after I left. And I've read so many definitions of culture. And the one that I like the most that for me sums it up is culture is how things are done around here. And things are done around here. You can explain to how things are done around here by training people the right way, role modeling, telling stories. And so that's what culture is. And so I think every organization, when I say organization, I mean families, companies, churches, clubs, anywhere you have a group of people, there's a culture. And those cultures, they evolve organically or with purpose. And I think some organizations just let it sort of grow organically, never really think about what they're trying to get done. And so some of the strongest personalities shape the culture. And sometimes that's great. And sometimes that's not great. So I think what you need to do is be intentful about culture. What do you want to happen here? If you want to have an open environment where ideas are shared, then you better create a culture where you don't punish people that come up with crazy ideas and shut them down. If you want a culture that you're going to continuously improve, then you better be willing to listen to people and take suggestions that you might not like to hear. So you need to be very purposeful about it. And once again, I think people sometimes are just too passive and they just let people kind of come in and do whatever they think is right versus giving them guidelines and criteria on how things should be done. And if you can do that, you can actually rope in culture and grow it and make it stronger. And as you do that, you start to attract people who want to be part of that culture. And that's how you really make continuous improvement over time. And you get a really strong team of people that have shared values. If you have that, you success is almost guaranteed. Yeah, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy almost, right? Exactly. So one of the things that you talk about often is people remember stories, and you talk about being able to tell stories to frame different situations. So along the culture line, what is your best Disney culture story? Gosh, I have a couple. Well, actually, I have hundreds, but I'll let me think of a couple. <laughs> so to the highlight, these are sort of a couple of highlights from my career. One was... You've heard of the movie Frozen, I assume. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So that was a sleeper. I, I do it. have two sons, but uh, I've heard of it. But yeah. if you're a parent, if you're not a parent, you heard about it. <laughs> so that was kind of a sleeper. No one really thought and understood what that movie was going to do. And it came out and it was just a blockbuster. So as we were, I was the vice president at Disney's Hollywood Studios and we were coming into the summer. So this was probably around April, maybe March or April or even May. And someone in marketing said, well, what what are we doing this summer? What's going to be the big draw this summer at Walt Disney World? Because some years, it's a big new attraction. And some years, it, we're going to do this event. And so they came to the studios and said, we are going to do Frozen Summer. And it's <laughs> going to be at the studios, Dan. And so we were given the task in two weeks to produce and open Frozen Summer at Disney's Hollywood Studios. 
Now, when I say two weeks, this is usually something that's planned 18 months in advance. So this was just <laughs> crazy that in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, there's no way we're going to be, I mean, in two weeks, we can't even get a meeting together in two weeks, much less get an event going. <laughs> right. But um, we did, we turned it on and some of the best came out in everyone, you know, under pressure and uh, under crisis, I see people at Disney step up during hurricanes, you get these great, incredible stories of service. And so all of a sudden people were having meetings and people, because the timeline was so short, they were calling less meetings. They were making more decisions. They weren't getting 50 people involved to have to make a decision. Like we had no time for that. So the president of Walt Disney World, uh, George Caligridis was his name. He came one day. Well, actually I went in first. So we built a skating rink for this event and a big warehouse that one of the sound studios, we had the studios. We said, okay, we're going to have, you're going to be able to go in, play in the snow, ice skate. You know, this is in the middle of the summer in Florida because it's frozen. So I went in one day as they were getting ready for it. And in the corner, there was a projector and there was a bunch of people sitting in front of the projector and someone was talking. I said, well, what's going on over there? They said, well, we didn't have time to put all our third party, the people operating the ice skating rink through traditions. Now, traditions is the, the class everybody takes at Disney to be introduced to the culture, the, the quality standards. I mean, it is a non-negotiable. You have to do it. But we didn't have time to put them through traditions. Plus, they were from an outside company. So I said, they said, so since we couldn't put them through the typical traditions, we had a traditions facilitator from Disney University come here and we're training them here inside the warehouse. So they get, they understand what, what kind of service we deliver and how we do things. And I was like, wow, that I said, who thought of that? They said, well, we just figured it was important because culturally it's important that people understand the purpose of their jobs. So fast forward a week. Now the president of Walt Disney World is walking with me. We're at the ice skating rink and he asked the same question. What are those people in the corner doing that projector? <laughs> I said, well, they're teaching traditions. And he said, wow. He said, well, whose idea was that? And the way he asked it, I'm like, oh boy, this is not good. <laughs> and I said, well, they did. They came up with it. And he said, that is awesome. He goes, I love this. I wish we could operate this way year round, just get things done fast and not have all the bureaucracy and make things go. So even in those times when we were rushing everything, everyone knew the values had to be transmitted to the employees if we were going to create this great experience for them. That was a great culture story. The other one was, once again, last minute, we got a three-day notice that Barack Obama was coming to the Magic Kingdom. He wanted to do a speech about, um, it was going to be on, gosh, what was it about? They had changed the law around, I think, visas and letting people come in with visas. So he wanted to make a big splash. Once again, if we had three months notice, we would have had 50 meetings a day and it probably wouldn't have been as good as it was. But I was at the studios at the time. We all went to Magic Kingdom and went to the team and said, what do you need? Because we had three days and the president's coming. What do you need? Right. And we all grabbed something and just went. That was an, a great idea of culture. Disney World is about teamwork. It's about getting people involved. And no one told us to go. Everyone just knew there's a need, go help. And we all jumped in and had a fantastic event and made some incredible, impossible things happen in with 72-hour notice. So those are just stories that there was no standard operating guideline. There was no plan. It was just people knowing that what they should do. And that's what culture does. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it's a testament to the fact that if you have the right culture, even under the most pressure-filled moments, people will rise to the top and they'll know what to do because that culture is ingrained in them, which is fantastic, right? Exactly. So one of the things I think you displayed here and you talk about often, and I think you've talked about it in your book as well, how do you get uh, managers or people in a managerial capacity to understand that their job is to facilitate success and not have all the answers? 
answers. Cause you talk about that often that, you know, Hey, listen, I was a high level executive. I didn't have all the answers, but I, my job was still to make sure that we were successful. And it seems like some of the folks in those two stories that you displayed also understood that. So how do you get managers to understand that point? Yeah. So at the end of the day, the way Walt Disney World successful is the brief interaction that guests have with the hundreds of frontline cast members. When they leave, they decide whether they're going to, if they're highly likely to come back and if they're highly likely to recommend that experience. And that's the holy grail intent to return, intent to recommend. So if you understand that, you start to realize that as an executive, you are not going to talk to the 20 million guests coming to your theme park every year because you just can't be there that much and you're one person. So you somehow have to relate that experience through all the employees that work three or four levels down below you. And so if you are clear with everyone, hey, look, guys, we are just here to facilitate this. The magic is happening with the frontline employees and we have to do everything we can to give them the right training, the right tools, the respect the feedback, the recognition. We need to create the environment where they're going to be their best, hire the right people. And once we do that, whether we do that or not, we're going to be accountable for the results. And we got to make sure that that cast member at the Auto Plaza, the first one you talk to when you drive in, welcomes you to Walt Disney World, welcomes you to the Magic Kingdom, tells you to have a great day, that that person in the parking lot is smiling as you get out of your car and reminds you where you're parked. That person at the turnstile, welcome to the Magic Kingdom. We're open till midnight tonight. All those interactions add up to an intent to return, intent not to return. So once everyone understands that, you realize that you're really not that important anymore. You're not (laughs) the one creating the magic. You're the one supporting the people who are creating the magic. And so you got to get rid of your ego. You got to let that go. You need to know that you are a role model. It's not about what I say. It's what I do. So I better be out there supporting people. I better be available. I better be solving problems so people can get their job done. And I need to be able to measure that stuff. And I need to go out and find out if we're delivering what we need to be delivering every day and supporting it and celebrating it. So a lot of times our ego gets the best of us and we like to be seen. We like to prove how smart we are or how witty we are, but that doesn't help anyone. It's giving value to the people who are out there delivering that experience. So if you're running a call center, you better make sure the person that answering that phone is friendly, has all the information they need to help people because they don't. It doesn't matter how nice your office is or how good a leader you are. If it doesn't translate to that experience, then it it really has no value. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're just an extension of you. So that's how you really are delivering your message is through those people that are your teammates on the front lines. So you mentioned earlier, you had, I think you said 19 different roles during your tenure at Walt Disney World, right? What was your favorite one and why? Or did you have a favorite one? Boy, some of them were my favorite in the moment and some of them were my favorite long after. Some of the hardest roles are always your favorite ones long-term, but you don't know in the the moment. I'd say probably my favorite role was being the general manager of the Wilderness Lodge and the Fort Wilderness Campground. That was my first executive role. So I was a general manager for the first time. The cool thing about hotels is they're kind of isolated and they kind of let you run your hotel. You got your team, you got your people, you do your thing. And that was such a diverse job. I mean, you had the Wilderness Lodge, which is just a beautiful architecture from the Pacific Northwest. You had a table service restaurant, a pool. You had a lake with all the activities out there, recreation, a Disney Vacation Club. And then you I was also responsible for the campground. So you got people in tents. You have people in multi-million dollar motorhomes that are living there. And for me, it was like the kind of the 
ultimate Disney experience that we had the campfire every night and you got to watch a Disney movie and make some oars. And it's kind of like what it, I imagined it was like back in the fifties to be part of Disney. So that was such a great job. And I learned a ton from that job. And once again, that was the first job I had where I really understood how important it was to work through people. I was now an executive and I could go out and see people and be present, which I was, but I learned quickly is I got to work through all the managers running all this stuff because it's a 24-hour operation. And if you don't start to let go and realize that you can't know everything and you can't be everywhere, you start to really develop your executive skills. And that was a huge learning for me in that first executive job. Yeah, that's one of my family favorites. We love the Wilderness Lodge and we love that property. We've been there several times and it's quite the place. So we enjoy it every time that we're there. So thank you for that. I know you also spent some time at the Disney Institute, right? And I think that's an area that was just a, it's almost an area of knowledge and teaching and learning in itself. So what is a tip you could share that you took away from your time at the Disney Institute for our listeners that they could either incorporate in their business or their life? Yeah. So Valerie, you know, my wife and I work together now and we both had experiences there. She was a facilitator for six years teaching leadership and customer service. And I was a speaker for them for about 18 years. I volunteered early on. I don't know, someone in the back of my head, I knew I might leave someday and go become a speaker, but I wasn't sure. So I took advantage of that time to just speak and speak to companies and practice my public speaking. And I think a couple things about Disney Institute. One is, I think they do a great job, as we talked about earlier, taking these intangibles, culture, customer service relationships, and breaking it down into tactics and actions. What can you actually do to execute upon these things? So that's the Disney Institute's really good at doing that. People come down like, well, show us the secrets. We're like, well, here's the first secret. There is no secret. Magic doesn't happen by magically. It happens by having a plan, taking care of people, understanding what you're trying to get done, creating clarity. So that's a big part of it. And I think the other part I think was probably even more uh, valuable than just the learning was just getting away. I don't think with social media and the pace of life, I think people have forgotten how to reflect, how to just go away and think about what they're doing. And I learned that luckily early on, and I would schedule an afternoon every month on my calendar. And it said, just go, go, you know, Dan time, go think. So I, the afternoon would come, my assistant would say, Hey, you're off the rest of the day to go think. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so sometimes I just change. I'd put on a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and a baseball cap and go walk around the park for a day and just sit on a bench and take some notes. Okay. What am I doing in my personal life that I'd need to improve upon? How am I as a husband? How am I as a father? How is I as a son? Am I kind of spending the right time with my friends? Am I doing the right things at work? Am I taking care of myself and that reflection? So we've seen a lot of people come down to the Disney Institute from various companies to learn about the Disney way, but probably what's more powerful is just getting off the hamster wheel and just going to think a little bit. And then once you get home, the key is now go do something because once you get back, all the emails are in there and the calls are coming and it's easy to forget about what you maybe thought about, but you got to do something differently. 
I've seen people be successful who can uh, follow through on that. Yeah, I agree. It's almost like uh, the value of a corporate retreat to some degree, getting off and getting away. And sometimes those business conferences are better just for you to get away from the office and be able to kind of work through some things that you can't do in the noise that's going on in your everyday life and in the office. So I definitely see the value in doing that in the Disney environment and the Disney Institute, I'm sure even brings it to an even higher level. I often talk about with clients, what's next in life. One of the things that I'm here talking about often is I think there's this misconception out there that people are working longer because they need the money. And in many instances with clients we're working with, we find that they don't necessarily need the money. They just don't know what they're going to do with those 40, 50, 60 hours a week that they're going to give up once they retire. So what was the catalyst for you? that had you depart from Disney, what was that thing that said, hey, I got to change things up and do something different now? Yeah. So I walked in the door one day back in 2017, almost well, actually more than a full year before I actually resigned. And my wife said, hey, are you still having fun working at Disney? And I, you know, of course, my first reaction was, of course I am. I work the most magical place on earth. <laughs> and I thought about that question for a year because she didn't see it. Well, I didn't see it, but she saw it. I was changing. I was getting older. I think I, my expectations were changing. The company was changing. You know, things change and that's okay. There's no fault here, but it was time sure. to go. You know, I had done all these things and I'm like, I don't see, I didn't know what my next job was going to be that was going to make me happier than running a theme park. And I knew that something was going to change. So we talked, I looked, I got some headhunters. I looked at other companies. I concluded that if I'm going to keep working for a company, I better stay at Disney. It's not going to get much better than that. So, right. um, we started to talk about going off and doing our own thing. And my dad had worked for Disney for 16 years. He retired at 62 years old back in 06. And he had had a whole re renaissance writing books and doing speeches. And that looked like a lot of fun. And so we talked and we talked and we talked. And it just seemed like the, it seemed impossible when we first started talking about it. There's no way I could leave. I didn't know how to do anything else. <laughs> so finally, we said, you know what? Let's take And it was as we called it a calculated risk. Our kids tuition was paid. No one was counting on us. My parents are healthy. They don't need us to be nearby. Our kids are living their life. We don't have any grandkids. My wife's mother lives in France and she's in good shape. So no one was really counting on us. So we realized this is such a moment in our lives. It's so unique. And so we made the jump and we had two things in mind. We want more freedom and we want a simplicity. We want to simplify things. And right. so we talk about that all the time. We have the freedom now. We can work remotely. We can pick the clients we work with. We can go hike on a Wednesday if we want. I get up at like 5, 6 a.m. every single day. There are no weekends anymore. So there's definitely freedom. And the other piece about simplicity is, yeah, there's just the two of us and our dog. And we don't want to build. People say, well, are you going to scale? Can you make more? I'm like, well, if I do that, I might as well go back and work for a big company again if I want to add all that complexity to my life. So those were a couple things, but we really kept that front of mind. It's easy to forget why you left. And there's days when we're like, man, we got all this work to do. It's like, well, no, no, but you wanted to do this. This is why you did this. You got to remind right. yourself that. And to your point is money would only get you so far. And as I get older, there are more and more things that money can't buy, right? My health you know, me right, getting out sure. to have the discipline to go run and keep in shape. And it gets harder as I get older. The ability for my wife and I spend great time together, the ability for us to be connecting with our kids and have my parents around, you know, that's not going to last forever either. So I think if you can just accelerate that learning and just say, what's this going to feel like in 20 years from now, 
your priorities definitely change. And our goal in life is to have no regrets. We're uh, trying to take advantage of everything and see the world differently. Awesome. Now, you mentioned it uh, in the last conversation or the last part of the conversation about your dad. It seems like you guys had some similar career paths. Did anything that he did, did it influence you and in how you kind of executed and went about your career? Oh, everything. Or was it, you know, just happenstance that it worked out that way? No, I, you know, I think families at Disney, at least, we have our best success with people who are um, referred by family and friends. And so growing up in the hospitality industry, I got to see what that was all about. And, you know, I waited tables in college and I always loved to serve. When I played sports, I loved working with people. It's funny, I was doing a podcast last week and people talk about, well, you know, what have you overcome? I'm like, man, I feel guilty. I didn't overcome anything. My parents have been married for 50 plus years. I had a great childhood. I don't need a therapist to work out issues. I had no issues. My parents were awesome. They always gave me flexibility to do what I wanted to do and gave me great advice and let me kind of make decisions my own way. And they were excellent role models. And I embraced my dad being a mentor. You know, When I left Disney, I said, hey, teach me what you know. So it's been fantastic. And I think how they raised me is definitely we've adopted a lot. My wife and I have adopted how we've raised our kids. The only expectations we have of you is to be happy and we're going to help you make decisions along the way. And all the decisions are going to be yours. And we right. have no expectations of you making a certain amount of money or having a certain title. You're not living your life to make us feel better. You're living your life to do what you need to do. And it's hard. You know, we went from helicopter parents. Now they're snowplow parents, right? <laughs> Just get rid of all the problems so they don't yeah. have any issues. I think that's the worst thing you can do for your kids. They got to go through adversity. They got to go and learn tough situations. Cause if you want them to go out and be able to compete in the world and have some worth, I think they need to do that. My parents, you know, I worked starting when I was 13. I didn't need to. We had plenty of money, but I worked. And I started to value that and our kids did the same thing. So they were incredible inspiration and role models for me and uh, have had a huge impact on my life. That's amazing. That It's good. I mean, it's good to see situations like that. You and your wife, you know, talking about you're raising the kids and whatnot. You and your wife have been married over 20 plus years and worked for the same company. So for those people out there who are interested, dual income, building careers, wanting to have and or having kids and raising them. What advice and guidance do you have for those folks that are, you know, married, both business people, building careers, have families? How do you make it all work? Gosh, if I knew that, I'd be a consultant on that. <laughs> all I'll say is, I'll use a quote my grandfather uh, had left with me. He was a class of 42 at the Naval Academy, fought in World War II, incredible engineer, amazing guy. And he left me a quote. He said, you do your best and then you forgive yourself. And I think the important things in life, there is no solution. Raising kids is a dilemma. Being married is a dilemma. You have to manage it. You have to do the best you can. You learn as you go. And then you forgive yourself for the mistakes you make. People ask me, how do you raise your kids? I'm like, like I don't know. Live your life and they will take a lot of cues from you. And that can be good or bad depending on what those cues are. At what age do you need to give them a cell phone? I don't know. What's curfew? <laughs> I don't know. You do the best you can. You read, you talk to people, and then the day you do what you think is right. And there's no right way to raise kids. I think you just got to keep talking, keep working through it, keep being open-minded, and the solution will reveal itself as time goes on. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I have always had the same understanding, which is at the end of the day, we have to raise good humans. We have to raise 
two people that are going to have to be able to be self-sufficient and be able to manage their own decision-making process, live with those decisions. So our goal is just to guide them, or our job is simply to guide them, help them along the way, be a resource for them. But ultimately, the decisions are going to be theirs, and they're going to have to live with the consequences, good, bad, or indifferent, right? Because we're not going to be here forever, and we're not going to be next to them forever, just like in your situation. So they have to be able to live independently at some point, and that's uh, very important. So listen, I appreciate the time today, and we end every show by asking each guest the same question, which is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Well, I haven't done it yet because we're early, but my wife and I have our routine and it's a nice, cool, sunny day here in Colorado. And we're going to take our dog for a long walk around the lake. We're going to talk about what we're working on today. She talked to her mom earlier. So I'm going to find out what's going on in France. And we're going to get all in the right mindset with each other today, what we're working on, what our plan is, and go from there. So that's, like I said, that's our routine. I love routine. And that's what we do every single morning. Sounds amazing. Sounds like a great way to kick off the day, kick off the week, get started and get a fresh start. So Dan, I appreciate you joining us today. If people want to find you, we'll have this all in the show notes, but what's the best way for them to find you? Yeah. So we have two websites. One is dancockrell.com. I designed that and it's okay. But if you go to cockrellconsulting.com, my wife designed that and that's a great website. So either dancockrell.com or cockrellconsulting.com or just you can Google Dan Cockrell and I'll pop up and uh, all our information there. We have some videos. We do leadership workshops. We do consulting. I do keynote speeches. So we get our hands in lots of different things, but you can find us there. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Dan, for spending time with us today. And usually I sign out by saying, make it a great day. But I think I have to say today, have a magical day, Dan. (laughs) There you go. That's well done. Nice theme to the end of the podcast there. All right, Dan, have a great one. Thank you. I want to thank Dan Cockrell for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset Show. As someone who has always admired the Disney way, It is exciting to speak with Dan about his experience as someone who lives it every day. Dan is a true inspiration and a testament to the power of how hard work, dedication, and commitment will lead you to great places. His ability to use inspiring storytelling and sharing his experiences really gets people excited and helps transform organizations. Dan can be found across all social media platforms and all the contact information needed to find him can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandfinancial.com and be sure to smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content. And listen, please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. Be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about the mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.
No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.